last night during the gathering, Ethan spoke uh, about uh, the importance of prayer and how our prayer lives have changed as our broader lives have changed, our routines have changed, uh, maybe we don't have a commute anymore, maybe there's more people in the house than there used to be. Um, but he talked a lot about how do we find time to pray, to pray and the importance of prayer um, in this time of COVID-19. Uh, and with that in mind, we're going to throw to Cassie now, who's going to lead us in a time of prayer. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Um, yep, I'm going to pray for us. So get comfortable, um, bow your heads, do whatever you need to do. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are in control of all things. Thank you that we can put our trust in you. Father, during this time of uncertainty, we pray that your church may be a sign and a place of hope, comfort and love to all. We pray that we can continue to think creatively about how to best spread your love and your word to those who don't know you. We pray for everyone who's still affected by COVID-19 in a range of different ways. We pray for families who are facing difficult decisions about schooling, childcare, loss of income or employment. We pray for the government leaders and their decisions about policies and laws, especially as restrictions are being relaxed. I pray that you, overall Lord, will bind us together in love with you at the centre always. We pray that in this unique time of our lives that people will begin to reflect we pray that people will turn to you for the first time. We pray that all the challenges happening in the world will challenge the worldviews of people which have been held so tightly for so long. Father, we praise you for the confidence you give our hearts through the love of your son. We look forward to the day when we will not pass uh, from this world into condemnation but instead will enter into your presence of everlasting celebration. Father, we confess that we are tired of living for ourselves. We thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place, to deliver us from the misery of a self-centered life. No matter what struggles, temptations or tragedies we face this week, please help us to not lose heart. Through the Holy Spirit, guide us from ever doubting your great love for us. Help us to remember the good news that you've made us made known to us and that you've forgiven all of our sins. Lead us to live our lives for Christ's sake at our workplaces, with our friends, with our families and wherever else we may go this week. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey guys, uh, tonight we're going to do uh, the most important thing that we do at Soul Revival, uh, which is hear from God's word. So we're reading from Daniel chapter 7, uh, and we're starting at verse 1. So won't you read with me? In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was laying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, 
and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and the three... The three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Well, hello friends. Uh, I'm so glad that you've been able to join us today for church. Uh, My name's Paul and uh, it's my great privilege to share this part of God's word with you. Or should I say maybe um, dubious pleasure? Because as that was read out, um, did you find it a little bit strange? The imagery was just so graphic and weird. Um, it's the sort of the type of thing that you would expect to see in a fantasy movie like Lord of the Rings. But this is not a fun trip to the movie theatre. Uh, as Daniel reflects upon this vision, he is disturbed and deeply troubled. Now, whenever we come to God's Word, we've got to ask for his help to understand it, but especially so today as we come to a tricky part of literature and how to understand that. So let's pray that he would help us understand his word now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All things are under your rule. All things come before you. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand your word. We thank you that you do speak to us. 
And so as we come to this tricky part of your word today, Lord, we do pray you give us ears to hear and eyes to see the world the way you see it. And we do pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I um, just want to start off by telling you about um, an interesting building project. Just outside of uh, Quebec in Canada, a team of 60 people take around six weeks to build a hotel entirely out of snow and ice. They use thousands and thousands of tons of snow and ice to build all the rooms and all the furniture. And you have to admit the finished product uh, looks pretty impressive. I've got a bunch of slides here um, to show you what it looks like um, from the outside and the interior as well. Very impressive. All the work that takes to build all that sort of stuff. Pretty amazing. Now, just after four months, um, the hotel has to shut down. Why? Well, because it starts to melt. And so all that work, all that beauty, ends up turning into just a muddy puddle. And then the next year they do it all again to again watch it turn into a muddy puddle. Now, why are we talking about uh, an ice hotel, you might be asking? Well, good question. Well, because it's actually a graphic illustration of, of, of transience, of things that are impermanent. You see, in its full glory, the ice hotel just looks so solid, so permanent. But in reality, it's temporary. In just a few months, it melts away. It comes and it goes. And so in that short time frame, we have the eyes to see that something can be very, very impressive, but also be temporary at the same time. The book of Daniel um, teaches us to see things from an eternal perspective, to see things God's way, hence the title of our series. From God's perspective, whole generations become just moments and mighty kingdoms, they just come and go just like an ice hotel in Quebec. And so as we've been reading through Daniel, we've seen the mighty power of Babylon and its empire. It, in the 6th century BC, it was the world power swallowing up any nation in its path, and that included conquest of Israel. Uh, we saw how proud kings imposed their command upon God's people, and they mock the God of Israel. But alongside this worldly reality, we're given a glimpse into a heavenly reality. We see powerful kings humbled before the true God of heaven because it's the God of heaven who sets up and removes worldly kings. We see impressive empires brought to an end by the hand of God and the promise that he will establish his eternal kingdom. And so the call is to see things God's way. We need to remember that things don't always seem what they are. Sometimes things that seem important end up being unimportant. Things that seem to be valuable turn out to be worthless. Things that seem to be permanent end up being temporary. And so our passage continues that same idea, to keep seeing things God's way. Now, before we come to the passage... Um, just a short word about the type of literature we're looking at today. Uh, you see, for the first half of Daniel, we're looking at a different type of literature. We're looking at what's known as historical narrative. You know, that's events recalled, but they're located in a place 
and a time, and it can be fairly straightforward to understand. But here we see the style change. In the second half of the book, we're going to be confronted with all manner of graphic imagery as Daniel recounts strange visions and dreams. This writing style is known as apocalyptic literature and it's not so straightforward to understand. Now, there's pockets of apocalyptic literature all through the Old Testament, but probably the most famous bits are at the end of the whole Bible in the book of Revelation. And with all its graphic imagery and symbolism, it's not surprising that this type of literature really gets the imagination flowing. And it's also the source of a lot of really wild interpretation. So with that in mind, we need to put in some important ground rules as we approach this type of writing. Um, so rule number one, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Often in these passages, there is a direct explanation of what it all means. And in our passage today, we have a direct interpretation of the dream. And for that, I know I, for one, are greatly thankful. Rule number two, the structure of the book is also a great help. The stories of Daniel are indeed very, very memorable, but that's not to make us think that they're just some sort of hastily thrown together collection of rollicking yarns. Now, chapters two through to seven are actually a very carefully structured piece of work. I've got a diagram here on the screen for you to look at. It shows you how they all fit together. The chapters quite clearly mirror each other. So we have chapters two, in chapter 7, mirroring each other. So I think we had that diagram on the screen. Thanks, Ethan. No worries, mate. So we've got these chapters mirroring each other, chapter 4 and 5, 3 and 6 and 2 and 7. So as we come to these strange images in chapter 7, chapter 2 is going to help us out. And lastly, we should not stretch the literature to be something that it isn't. It's full of imagery and symbolism, and so it shouldn't be interpreted literally. You know, we're not to expect that grotesque monsters are going to be coming out of the sea. Rather, they are a symbol of something else. Also, we're not always able to draw crystal clear connections to, from an image to a particular person or a particular time. The typical pattern of this type of literature in the Bible is a bit like an impressionist painting. The details around the edges may be a bit fuzzy, but the overall impression is clear. So here's a bit of culture for you today. I've got on the screen here an Impressionist painting by Claude Monet, the famous Impressionist painter. Now, it's not sharply in focus, but we can make out that what it is is a boat on a harbour at sunrise. The overall impression is clear. And so, with all those rules in place, we now turn our attention to chapter 7. We're going to start from verse 2. Daniel said... In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now immediately the image is foreboding. Wind blowing from all points of the compass, churning up the sea. And whereas we Australians love the sun and the sand and the surf, love hitting the waves, well in the ancient Near East, the sea was something to be seen as being quite dangerous, something mysterious, a primordial soup of chaos. And out of these depths come these four beasts. What are they like? Well, in a word, 
weird. It's a bit like Frankenstein went bonkers at the zoo. The first beast is a lion, but a lion with eagle's wings, and ends up standing up and looking like a human. Then we see a flesh-eating bear with skeletal remains poking out of its teeth. Then we have a four-headed leopard with wings. And lastly, a monster, well, that quite simply defies description. Some sort of beast with iron teeth and bronze claws and ten horns that sort of keep morphing themselves into having human features. And if that's not frightening enough, we're told the false beast was especially powerful. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. You know, these are not the type of things that you would like to meet in the dark by the seashore. This is not the stuff of sweet dreams. This is a nightmare. Now before we continue on with the vision, let's jump ahead and look at the interpretation. So in verse 17 on the screen we're told this, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. And so here, straight away, we see the parallel to chapter 2, where in chapter 2 we saw a statue that had four sections, and each section re represented a kingdom. And so to remember that, we're remembering that, that these empires might look impressive, but they come and they go. And as powerful and as frightening as these images might be, they will pass and give way to God's kingdom. And in verse 23, we read on a further explanation about the fourth beast, here on the screen. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, the king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. So here we have a similar pattern of kings coming and going, but here in the last verse we get this very clear warning about persecution. Sadly, God's people throughout history will be oppressed and monstrous forces will persecute them. As we read through Daniel, we've got to remember those things that happened to them. Remember that the experience of Daniel and his friend, that um, they endured the ordeal. They enjoyed the ordeal of being thrown into the furnace, of being thrown into the lion's den. Now, by God's kindness, they were spared. But there's no suggestion in Daniel, nor anywhere else in Scripture, that God's people will be cushioned against trouble or suffering or persecution. And so that begs the question, well then, what do God's people need? What do they need in times of persecution? What truth can they hold on to when they are weak and vulnerable? Well, thankfully, Daniel's dream, there's a change of scene. And so we return to Daniel's vision in verse 9 here on the screen. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, his hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 
10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. From beastly aggression, we now see this picture of sovereignty and holiness. The Ancient of Days is God himself sitting on the throne, a throne of fire. And it's a glorious picture, but it's also a picture of judgment. And we're transported into the courtroom of heaven. And so we continue reading on in verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. You see, as frightening and as boastful as these worldly empires are, they will come under the judgment of the Ancient of Days. In the end, God will have the final say. But that's not all. The vision continues. Have a look at verse 13 here on the screen. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see, the contrast here is clear, is it not? Whereas before we saw beasts emerging from the depths, here we see a man coming on the clouds of heaven. Quite literally a man, quite literally a bloke. Well, who is this guy? Well, turning to the New Testament, we start to find out. We find ourselves in another courtroom scene at the end of Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 60, here on screen. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus continued, verse 62, I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. You know, in the New Testament, in the Gospel, Jesus uses the name Son of Man to describe himself 90 times. And with this very clear identification, the irony of this scene is just palpable. Just think back to Daniel chapter 7, what we saw the Son of Man. He was given all authority, all glory, all sovereign power from the courtroom in heaven. And yet, here we are in Mark's Gospel, the same Son of Man, Jesus, standing in a dodgy kangaroo court, being accused. How dare sinful humans judge the sovereign Lord, who has everlasting dominion over all things, well, it's an easy thing to do if you don't see things God's way. If you see Jesus as nothing more than, say, a baby in a manger or a quietly spoken wise teacher. If we think like that, well, we think of them as being harmless. But when we see things God's way, we see Jesus as the powerful ruler and judge of all things. Now coming back to the interpretation of Daniel's vision, 
there's one more stunning development that we need to cover. In verse 18 we read this, Daniel's told this, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And the promise goes on in verse 22. The Ancient of Days will come and pronounce judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. And again, verse 27 on screen. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to who? To the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. So do you see what's being said here? God's people are quite literally being promised the earth. Now, that's quite an inheritance to look forward to. The truth, then, that's the truth. That's the truth that, Christian, that the millions of Christians' martyrs have held on to. As they've been crushed and devoured by beastly oppressors, they have stood firm against monstrous powers, looking forward to standing with Jesus in heaven and ruling with him. Do you remember Stephen? Stephen, the one who was considered the very first Christian martyr. As he was about to be crushed by a furious crowd, what did he see? Here on the screen, in Acts chapter 7, verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So friends, will you see things God's way? Yes, there'll be monstrous powers that will rise up and oppose God and his people. But these worldly powers will come and they'll go. In the end, God will defeat his enemies and establish his eternal kingdom. And friends, can you see the future that God has for you? Because if you're a Christian, then eternal rule is your future. And yet, we make such a big deal out of such little things in the here and now. We put so much effort into things that will fade away, and yet so little effort into things that will last. I know you do it, because I do it. The things of the world just seem so tangible. They seem so permanent. And yet heaven seems so far away. But that means we're not seeing things God's way. And may it be that God would change us. May it be that God would give us the eyes to see the world for what it is. May it be that he would give us minds to understand the blessings that he's lavished upon us. May it be that he would give us hearts that long for our heavenly home. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings at the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is O2.
OK by Exit.